0: As they are going out, we are going to begin our uh, continuing our series in the Minor Prophets, and we're in the prophet Joel. Uh, we started in Jonah. We figured we'd start with the most uh, common, uh, commonly read prophet, uh, Jonah, and then we would get a little bit more obscure. And so we're in Joel chapter two. And just to remind you of the context, this is the the prophet that is speaking and uh, has already spoken of a locust swarm uh, that has brought on great destruction, uh, kind of that is an analogy of an enemy army that is uh, coming up against God's people. Uh, and, uh, but in all of this, it's not just God bringing difficulty into his people's lives. The context is really the call of God through the prophet Joel to his people, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, rend or rip your hearts and not your garments. Because gar- ripping garments was, a, was a, an indication of mourning and, and uh, of grieving. And God's saying, don't rip your garments, rip your heart before me over your sin. Then he keeps going, return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. And so that's the call of God to his people to to, to, that they would return and come back to him. We saw last week uh, that verse 18 in chapter 2 was kind of the turning point of the book where God says he's going to show pity and have pity on his people and the land, that he would declare his mercy on his people, that he would drive out their enemies, restore the rain to the land, and again, the flourishing to crops and to trees. But our passage follows after that. So there's this tangible restoration that's talked about in the middle part of chapter two, uh, but for us, then we're going to get to the uh, even uh, another aspect of the promised restoration, one that doesn't see its fulfillment uh, for potentially seven or eight hundred years later. So would you stand with me as we go to Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 28, as Joel is talking about the next aspect of restoration. And it shall come to pass afterward uh, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The the sun shall be turned to darkness. And the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. So let's pray. Uh, God, we just pray that... uh, in section of scripture that oftentimes people just don't even read or when they read they uh, or myself included just it's hard to understand what are you telling these people and what would you have for us to understand Uh, father i pray that today you would speak by your word we know that your word is powerful and effective because of the power of the holy spirit not because the power of a speaker not because of our intellect or our understanding, but you carry your word along by the power of the Spirit. It accomplishes much, and then it returns to you. So, Father, we pray for that this morning. We ask that you would give us insight, that you would give us understanding, that you would give us not just comprehension mentally, but, God, that you would have us receive your truth this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You be seated. It's always interesting how often I find myself, and in in talking with uh, many of God's people, we find ourselves uh, feeling uh, at times like we're doing life kind of like on our own, by ourselves, uh, or you might have the the idea of, uh, of fear uh, kind of welling up in your heart, like what is tomorrow going to bring, what's our future going to bring, what's going to happen with our kids and our grandkids, uh, you know, and so we can kind of feel this sense where we're going through life by ourselves, or we feel this sense of like fear and dread of the future as if, uh, you know, certainly we don't know what's coming, but as if we serve a God who doesn't know either. We confess that he does, yet oftentimes, if you think about it, fear comes, so uh, in a sense, what we are saying about God and what we believe about God don't necessarily match and overlap. Because how, how else will we find ourselves in fear? Or do you find yourself without hope? You look towards the future, you look towards what's coming, and you're like, you know what? Uh, you know, just whatever's going to happen is going to happen, and I'm just going to put one foot in front of another. I'm going to just keep going in life. And, you know, you don't have any hope in what's to come. You ever feel like you're just simply hanging on? Yeah, I'm going to get through this day, I'm going to get through this week, I'm going to get to the weekend so I can take a breath, then I'm going to get through this month and my kids are going to get older and they're going to graduate just to make it through life. What's interesting is how pervasive that is among God's people. It's one thing to think that all right, people that don't know the Lord might feel those things. It's a totally other thing to think that God's people deeply struggle with that. And as I read that list, it's amazing how often my thoughts and my feelings show up in that idea. Fearful, without hope, just feeling like you're hanging on and just getting through life, passively waiting for God uh, to do his thing, or even passively waiting for life to get over and then Jesus to return, and then life will start. Let me submit to you that all of my thoughts when I go down those roads, and if you find yourself going down that road as well, that is the complete antithesis of what the life of faith, the life of God's people ought to look like. Because we are not merely looking for some future day when God will set things right. We're not just sitting there waiting and at that day everything will be good. God promises now at this point, where we live right now, God has already begun, already preparing for that time when everything will be set right. He's already started that in motion. And so we don't just live as if we don't have any taste of it and any touch of it and it's merely future. We live right in the middle of God redeeming all things and we do that right now. But if you're like me, it's easy to just kind of put that on the shelf of a mere distant future idea. In the last day, everything will be, you know, when Jesus returns. But I think when we do that, we miss the beauty of what the prophet Joel just told us about. We miss the beauty that we live in this sense that God has changed the course of history. And that we live in the midst of that change of the course of history and its ultimate fulfillment. We don't live as people who are fearful. We don't live as people without hope. We know exactly what's coming, and yet we live in the midst of it right now as God is bringing it about. So when we did a Praying Life seminar, we often talked about doing life through prayer. Uh, and you could say it a different way. It's not just praying a lot and that being, that being your life. In a sense, doing life through prayer is doing life by the Spirit of God. That the Spirit is the one who is leading. He is the one who's guiding. He is the one where his power is at work in our lives. In a sense, it's the power of the Spirit that meets our weakness. And when you feel your weakness profoundly, what do you do? You cry out to one who was promised to you, the promised Holy Spirit. So flip that around. If you don't find yourself crying out to God, you probably think pretty highly of yourself. You probably think I can get through life without crying out to my God because, well, if we feel our weakness profoundly and have any hope in the gospel, what do we do? We cry out to the one who's been promised to us. Doing life through prayer is really doing life through the Spirit. And that's what we get in Joel chapter 2. We get the promise of the Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit. And what we saw that in verse 28 and 29, that it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Verse 29 even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So the promise of the Holy Spirit uh, is what the prophet Joel is talking about. Now you're thinking, okay, uh, is, uh, so that's the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that was promised to God's people in the prophet Joel, that God will pour out his Spirit on all flesh. Remember that this is not merely the prophet Joel. This is all throughout the Old Testament. A couple samplings of that, that the Holy Spirit is all over the Old Testament. So what is it for him to be poured out uh, later? Isaiah 33 is, the, the, uh, for the palace is forsaken, the populous city deserted, the hill and the watchtower will, will become dens forever, a joy, uh, the joy of wild donkeys, basically desolation, uh, a pasture of flocks, until... The Spirit is poured out upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. So there's desolation that God's people are going through until what? Until the Spirit is poured out. Later in Isaiah, in in chapter 44, God says, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. That sounds a lot like Joel 2. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants and they shall spring up among the grass like willows uh, by flowing streams. And so you see this this picture of actual water being brought back to the land but then the power of the spirit being described as a uh, as a uh, water kind of pouring out on to God's people, even a flowing stream. Ezekiel says it this way, Ezekiel thirty six, and this is said actually about three or four other times in Ezekiel. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I give that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God So the idea of the promise of the Spirit is not merely just showing up in Joel. It's all over the Old Testament, and there's tons more. Uh, But the promise of the Spirit is the promise of God to his people. Remember that Jesus, when he's telling his disciples, I'm going to go to the Father, they didn't understand what he was saying, is basically I'm going to die, I'm going to be resurrected, and then I'm going to ascend and leave you. But I'm not going to leave you as orphans. What what am I going to leave you? I'm going to send to you the Comforter. I'm going to send to you the one who is going to be with you. That's the Spirit. What's interesting is Acts 1.8. Okay? So it's the promised Holy Spirit. Where do we see this fulfillment is in the book of Acts. And so Jesus, before he ascends, he tells his disciples to do something. But you will receive power, power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, I didn't put it in here, but just, if you have your Bible at Acts 1, go to Acts 1, verse 4. Okay, And what's amazing about that is what Jesus is telling his disciples... Right before this verse. This is the one we all know from VBS, right? Uh, Acts 8 you You'll be my witnesses. But Acts 1.4 and 5 is really interesting. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for what? But wait for the promise of the Father. Which he said, uh, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So stay in Jerusalem, disciples, and wait for the promise of the Father. What is the promise? The promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit. Because John baptized, John the Baptist baptized with water, but but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit that comes on you. And so this promise of the Holy Spirit is foretold in, in Joel chapter 2, Ezekiel, Isaiah, other prophets. What we start to see the fulfillment of that uh, actually in uh, is as Jesus is saying, wait for the promise of the Father, and then the Holy Spirit will come on you and you will be my witnesses. That's the that's what's going on in the book of Acts. Before we get to the culmination of that, uh, let me just kind of hit the brakes on something. To read the promise of Joel, the promise of Joel being that I will pour out my spirit on you, a mistaken reading that's often uh, often espoused is to read that as a promise that God will give the spirit because he is not in their midst right then. The the idea that God or that the Spirit was not active in the Holy in in the that the Spirit was not active in the Old Testament that is a mistaken reading of what's going on in the Old Testament prophets. But I would bet if we took a survey before this, eighty or ninety percent of people would say, "Oh yeah, the, the Holy Spirit didn't do anything in the Old Testament. He wasn't active in God's people." We got to tap the brakes on that because uh, because. Uh, The Old Testament will say much of the Spirit's activity. He was involved in creation. Genesis 1, Psalm 33. He was involved in revealing God. Isaiah 61, Micah 3. He was, a, he was a part of the Holy Spirit enabling people for service. Kings, prophets, uh, different artists. Uh, Exodus 31, Judges 6, Judges 15, Isaiah 11. But also, you could say, well, he, the Holy Spirit was only involved in those kind of things. But remember what King David says? Take not your Holy Spirit from me. You know, the, the inward work of the Holy Spirit in Psalm 51 and what we read in Ezekiel 36, it's, it's not that the Holy Spirit was absent from the Old Testament. He just is, uh, he is going to be poured out in the New Testament in a way, it, not, not that he was never here, but he is going to come with a flurry after the death and resurrection of Jesus, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like a gentle rain compared to a monsoon. There's still water, and it's still coming down. But in the Old Testament uh, and the work of the Holy Spirit in uh, the in a lot of different aspects, it was raining. The Spirit was there. Uh, yet, what we're going to see in the in the fulfillment of this promise is the monsoon rain. Of the Spirit. Now, why would I say all this? Is because it starts to make sense of John 3. So, what happened in John 3? Okay, we're going to watch the Super Bowl. Someone's going to hang up John 3.16, right? Okay, and, uh, but that was not just for football games. Uh, that was Jesus sitting with Nicodemus, one of the religious leaders of the day, and Nicodemus was confounded. Like, what in the world is Jesus talking about? He's embarrassed. He, he kind of shows up at night because he doesn't want to be seen coming to ask Jesus questions. And Jesus says this to him. Jesus answered him. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay? Now, born again has become like a Saturday Night Live skit in our culture, but it is a very biblical concept, and Jesus says that's the nature of spiritual life, that you have to be born again, but how? How? Okay, verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Okay, so Jesus is saying you have to be born again. Nicodemus is like, okay, I'm no math major, but that's not going to work. How do you, how are you born again? Verse 5. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water... And the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 6: that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. At this point, Nicodemus is very confused. Like, mm, not really getting an understanding. It's a fascinating dialogue. We don't have time to go back and read John 3. If you want to understand what spiritual life is, because it's life in the spirit, and then he comes in, this is, this is, uh, you know, Nicodemus is confused, and he said to Jesus, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? What is Jesus saying? He's looking at the teacher of Israel, the one who understands the law, the one who understands the New Testament. Jesus is saying, spiritual life, to be born again, is to be born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? And Jesus is like, don't you understand? Because the life of the Spirit is all over the Old Testament. That's why Jesus is, in a sense, rebuking the religious leader for not understanding how life in the Spirit in life in, of faith actually comes. So how does that actually happen? How could you be born again? How are you born of the Spirit? What's the mechanism by which that happens is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. How are you born of the Spirit? is that you confess and that you believe that the Lord Jesus was the one given by the Father to die for you so that you would not perish. Verse 17 is great. It follows that, uh, the very familiar passage. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The promise of the Holy Spirit is the promise of, of life, in, uh, life in the Spirit to actually know God. It is the one who, He is the one who actually brings spiritual life. But it's not simply a New Testament concept. He has been saving and at work in people's lives from the beginning. Because how else would somebody believe in Christ without the power of the Spirit? corinthians would say no one can say jesus is lord except by the spirit of god so if that's true in corinth in corinthians a new testament book you can't say jesus is lord 500 years earlier unless the spirit is the one who is going to bring that about uh I'm sure that brought up some questions. I'll be available later, and we can talk through it. But, okay, so the promise of the Spirit, but then there's the pouring out of the Spirit. So, uh, so what is the pouring out of the Spirit that Joel is talking about? And I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all flesh, he says. Uh, and does that have anything to do with us? Okay, so we got to go to Acts chapter 2. Remember, Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem. Acts 1:8 and until the power of the spirit comes on you Acts 2:1 when the day of Pentecost arrived Pentecost means 50 okay penta um, you know so it's actually the word for 50th so it's the 50th day after Passover remember Jesus was crucified as the Passover lamb of God and so 50 days later there's this harvest festival Okay? Yeah, it's called Pentecost. Uh, it's the Old Testament harvest or uh, feast of weeks or feast of the harvest. It's basically a celebration of what God has brought in the grain through the harvest. So think through that. What's the context of Joel? Before he says, I'm going to pour out my spirit, what did he do? He brought rain and, and, and pasture and restored the crops. And now we're at the celebration of God's provision of crops and God's going to bring the Spirit. Acts chapter 2, uh, verse verse 2 and 3, suddenly, so they're there gathered in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the it filled the entire house, where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire uh, appeared to them, and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the Spirit burst into the place that they're in, these tongues of fire are now resting above their head, and they start speaking in different languages, okay? Now, uh, they make a point in, in Acts 2 that these were not educated men, meaning like, you know, they got on Babel, and they listened to the app, and they went through it, and they learned another language. No, this was instantaneous, boom, and now they're speaking another language. People are looking around like, these guys must be drunk, and the, I love Peter's answer. It's the morning. Like <laughs> Anyway, that was just made me chuckle. Like, you know, no, guys, that's not what's going on here. Nobody's having that for breakfast. But what's going on? Chapter 2, verse 15. For these people are not drunk, Peter says, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. It's early but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Oh, hello. And in the last days it shall be, declares, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then Peter goes on to quote all five verses that we read earlier of Joel chapter 2, 28 to 32. So here, here they are at Pentecost, celebrating uh, this sense of what God is bringing in in the harvest, in the grain, uh, and, and then God pours out his Spirit. These men were filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in other language, languages. You know. So uh, here, here comes the downpour, the monsoon rain of the power of the Spirit. And what is this fulfilling? Is it just Joel chapter 2? Because Peter says, Right here, this is the fulfillment of Joel 2. Because what does Joel 2 talk about? Remember? Yeah, gotta go way back. It says uh, in, that, in that verse, in verse 28, your sons, in the middle part, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Uh, even male servants and female servants in those days I'll pour out my spirit. So the idea of what Joel is talking about is prophesying, not prophecy, but prophesying, telling the word of the Lord. And Peter is saying in Acts chapter 2, this is, this is being fulfilled in your hearing. This is what was uttered by the prophet Joel. And so they're there, and this is the fulfillment of so many interesting Old Testament promises. Uh, Moses Moses, when, when he actually needed help to rule the people, he asked God for help, and God put his spirit in a special anointing on 70 men to help Moses uh, to, to rule the people. Well, uh, what happened was 68 of them stopped kind of like under the anointing, and two of them kept going. Okay? And, and, uh, and so, so Joshua was like, um... Moses, what do you want me to do with these other two guys? They're not stopping like everybody else. And this is Moses' response in Numbers eleven twenty nine. 29. But Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all of the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. What is he saying? He's saying, what a day that will be when the spirit is poured out, and it is these special, uh, these special uses in, in uh, people being raised up for to be a king or a prophet, that will pour out on all of God's people, that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord would be able to speak uh, with the power of the spirit, that when that person speaks, not their words, but the power of the spirit explaining who Jesus is and his power and how he has radically changed your heart, you get to speak in the power of the Spirit, and oftentimes, or maybe once in a while, you get to see a heart go from death to life. You get to see someone's, the light bulb go on, and you're like, how did I do that? And you get to say, I didn't. It is the power of the Spirit outpoured on all flesh, where God is raising up. You see, it's not that the Spirit was not at work in the Old Testament. He is super at work in the New. We see it even in in Acts 10, verse 45. Not only does does he come in Acts 2 on, on the Jewish people, Acts 10, he goes to the Gentiles. Basically, people that didn't know the things of the Lord. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. That this is not simply a promise for the people of God who knew uh, him well. This was a promise for all people. Now, we've got to get to this last part, and it's the perspective of the Spirit. Because, so Joel is saying, there will be a day when, when the, the Spirit of God is poured out on all flesh. Okay? Joel says it like, uh, did I put them in there? No, Oh, yeah, I did. Okay, Joel says it like this, Joel 20, uh, 2.28, And it shall come to pass afterward... That I will pour out my flesh or my spirit on all flesh. Afterward is after like the grain and and the, the crops start to flourish. Okay? But Peter quotes this and he changes one of the words. He changes the word afterwards. Okay? So Joel is, it will come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Peter, when he quotes this in Acts 2.17, and in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So a, a, a time that follows another in chronology is one thing, but when Peter is picking up the language of the end times... Uh, Isaiah 2.2, you can see it. it, it's another Old Testament way of saying the last days or the latter days. When he picks this phrase up, this is a loaded phrase. This is not just a, you no, know, oh, he just misspoke. The, he is saying that with the ushering in of the Spirit in a new full way, history has changed. And we went from uh, we we come into the era of the Spirit, awaiting the full return and the fullness of the uh, outpouring of what God is going to do in set all things right. But what is the Spirit doing? So when Paul, when Peter is saying, "In these last days, it shall be that I'll pour out my pour out my Spirit on all flesh," that we are living in this time after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and we are awaiting his return, we live in that period, but are we merely just twiddling our thumbs, waiting, or is something, is God at work now? Where's Jesus right now? Jesus is in the body, enthroned in heaven, ruling and reigning over all things. And why do we know that? Is because death could not hold him. That's why we, like, our best songs that we sing are resurrection songs, you know, and our people are jumping up and down. Anyway, uh, and why? Because it is the celebration of what God has done to overcome death. And so he is on his throne, ascended in heaven, reigning and ruling over all things, and we have the Spirit. What's the point of the Spirit? Jesus says this in John 16, when the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he, this is Jesus speaking, and he, the Spirit, will declare to you the things that are to come. Okay? But what's the point of the Spirit? John 16, 14. He will glorify me. The role of the Spirit And he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The role of the Spirit is to shine light on Jesus. And the the point of Jesus is to give glory to the Father. And so we live in this epoch, in this era of the Spirit, in his fullness. And what does that do? Is it shines light on Jesus. Uh, That we don't live in this sense of, well, we're just kind of hoping that things would get through. We live in hope of the resurrection. What Jesus did in his death and resurrection is the pattern that we have that gives us hope for tomorrow, for next month, next year, and for eternity. It's the pattern of God taking broken things and renewing them. His resurrection is the pattern of God's work in us. It reframes our life because the Spirit is pointing us to see Jesus. And think about that. One commentator said, well, the fullness and the full uh, array of what the Spirit uh, is doing now obviously changes at the arrival, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Because he's pointing not just forward to that work, but he is, he's bringing light to those things. And so the fact that he is being poured out and that we are baptized in the Spirit. It is interesting that the analogy is rain from on high, the Spirit being poured out, and that's how uh, baptism of the Spirit is described. The promise of the Spirit is a work of God in us. And he points us to Christ, that we do not live in fear, We do not live without hope. We do not live aimlessly walking through life. We have a God who is enthroned and has given us the promised Holy Spirit. To walk with us, to lead us, to guide us, to remind us that we are uh, the children of God. When our hearts say we are too bad and He doesn't love us, the Spirit comes in and says, You are the child, you are a son or a daughter of the King. The Spirit is at work. Now, it's the promise of Joel 2 that the Spirit would come in fullness. On God's people that we do not live alone. Jesus didn't just leave us. In a sense, Jesus saying, this is even better than me being in your presence. I am sending the power of, of God, the third person of the Trinity, in the Holy Spirit, and he will be with you. He will comfort you. He will guide you. He will give you and remind you of your hope. It's an amazing promise. It's an amazing promise that actually gives us life that we do not have to do it on our own. What does Joel 2 say? That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We read it in Romans chapter 10. It's ha- Jesus said it in, in John chapter 3. How do you know you were born of the Spirit? He says, believe, believe, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved and the living God will come and dwell in you. Let's pray. God, I ask that, uh, that you would take your word, would you take uh, the words of your prophet, Father, the words of Peter in his sermon hundreds of years later. Father, would you take uh, the words of the conversation of Nicodemus and Jesus' answers. Father, by the power of your spirit, would you land them in our heart to encourage us, uh, to call us to you, that we might return from chasing all uh, all sorts of other things, even thinking we are the one uh, who is in control of our life. Father, by your spirit, would you enliven our hearts that we would return to you. God, thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit that we don't live here now trying to figure it out and get it right, but we have the living God dwelling in us uh, and empowering us, even in our weakness. We see your strength. And pray in thanks for these things. In Christ's name, amen.